Amen and good morning, everyone. Happy May. We made it to May. Bless the Lord. Uh, my name is Kathy Haug, and if we haven't met or haven't seen each other recently, I'm thrilled to be a part of the teaching team, but it's been a while since I've been in here with you all, so this is such a treat. Uh, I also work with University Christian Fellowship as a director of our ministry in the Midwest, and I am so glad to be a part of this series on the circle of love. We're actually um, entering the second half of this six-week series, and today I'm looking at simple complexity. Simple, God, Father, Son, Spirit, the circle of love, right? Simple in nature, but complex in activity. And I love Brett, if you were here last week, Brett, wasn't that just, it was so generous and vulnerable the way he brought us into his story. If you were here, it was such a sweet time. And he reminded us um, that, you know, God wants to be our world, right? He invites us in. And as we kind of want to go back and forth between the circle of love and the ways of the world, that we're invited not just to a one-time, but an ongoing, a daily glad surrender to God. And so we're going to continue in that light in this room. And we want to first, we want to fill this room with the prayers of the people. And something fun about today is we have the privilege of being served and led by our fifth grade students here at Third Church. So maybe you were greeted by a student when you entered this morning. They're going to be helping throughout the service um, this morning. And we actually want to start with prayer. So um, Anaya is going to come up and actually pray a blessing for us as we begin. And this is kind of a surprise for my other fifth graders helping because we kind of ran out of time to practice this. But I want to ask other fifth graders, would you do me a favor? Will you stand up and kind of, will you spread out and circle around the room just now? Will you hop up, kind of spread out around, kind of make a big circle around the auditorium family this morning? Kind of hustle, the run style, right? Come on over this way. There we go. Pick it up a little faster. There we go. All right. Kind of spread out. We're going to make a big circle around y'all. And fifth graders, when you find a spot, you can stop, kind of spread out. And I want you to show me a five for fifth grade. Put a hand out to the side. Okay? Another five. You're going to go like this. Okay? With our hands out, we're going to kind of circle this room in prayer as Anaya blesses us. All right, everyone, let's receive the prayers of the people. Will you pray for us? Dear God, please help our families and friends to stay safe and healthy. Thank you so much for helping us through difficult times. You are truly the one and only King. Lord, bless us and keep us. We want to know you more. Please help us to be more open to you and to trust you in all circumstances. We love you, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Anaya. Thank you, students. Okay, you can head back to your seat. Great job. All right, so last week... In both rooms, we started moving into the Gospel of John. And we're going to hang out in chapters 13 to 17, really, for most of the rest of this series on the circle of love. And those sets of chapters um, are known as what's called the upper room discourse. Can you say that back at me? Upper room discourse. Okay. So upper room. 
That is simply, you know, the idea is that Jesus and his entourage kind of got a Jerusalem Airbnb. They had an upper floor fully furnished, ready to go as they pilgrimage. You know, all these people are coming into the city. So they found this spot, right? That's the upper room. We know it was upstairs. Discourse is just a way of saying a series of conversations, All right, so discourse. What's unique here about John's capture of this scene is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke really kind of capture the activity, what was going on, but John uniquely captures for us in his gospel all that was being said and discussed. And I want to set this scene for us all a bit before we go into it and break it down. Have you you ever been watching a movie or a show, and there's kind of a scene where, you know, everyone's kind of hanging out, maybe friends, family, and it appears that everything is normal and as it should be. And then all of a sudden, the music changes and becomes ominous, and the lighting shifts. And you, as the audience, you know <gasps> something's about to happen, right? You know that suspenseful feeling, right? They're not totally aware, but you know that suspense, right? And that's kind of what's happening in this scene. Now, the disciples are not totally oblivious. Jesus has been telling them there's trouble coming, but they don't quite get it. They're in denial. But we, as the reader of this scene in the upper room, we know because we know what happens. Right? We know that this scene is right on the cusp of Jesus being betrayed by one in his inner circle, arrested unjustly tried by the state and the religious and political powers to be beaten and executed in front of his mother and the few brave that would stay with him. So we know that's coming. And Jesus knows that's coming. Because Jesus not only knows the trouble ahead, but he sees that whole cosmic battle that has been raging and is about to come to another crescendo. So you remember Tom had us back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry at the baptism, right? As Jesus is joined by Father and Spirit, right? And then Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness where he is tested by the devil for 40 days. And it is a clash, a titan clash of kingdoms, but from which Jesus emerges pretty exhausted, but clearly the victor. And now we're on the edge of another scene. The devil's been active, but now, literally, John captures that Satan enters into the very scene again. And we're about to see another clash from which it will appear, by all accounts, that the devil has won the day. That's the feeling in this room. And it's into that moment that Jesus has all of these lasts with his people And urgently, what does Jesus want to show them? With these last moments, what does he want to say to them? And that is what we have in this upper room. So if you want to follow along, if you have a Bible and want to pull it out or open your phone and kind of track through these chapters, in chapter 13, we see what Jesus wants to show them. And actually, Pastor Kevin unpacked this last week, the the story of Jesus shockingly, scandalously disrobing and washing the feet of his disciples, even those whom would betray and deny him, right? 
He shows them this radical, glad surrender that he's about to take to a cosmic scale when he goes to the cross. He shows them. He dines with them. He raises a glass, announcing a new covenant. He talks to Judas, and John tells us that at that moment, Satan enters Judas, who leaves, and then he interacts with Peter, who denies his impending denial. He shows us a way. And then he has a lot to say. So if you turn, if your Bible's one that has all the words of Jesus in red, the next few chapters, it's pretty much all red. Jesus has a lot he urgently wants to say. And it's really along two lines. You see, Jesus wants to prepare them, and he wants to pray. So he wants to prepare them for everything that's about to come. All the things that are going to happen to him and to them. He wants to prepare them for it to be known. But he also wants to remind them of their duties to one another, right? He calls them to love one another, right? To just as he's shown them in the foot washing, he says, a servant is not above the master. Therefore, you too will be blessed if you do as I have shown So he prepares them. He reminds them of their calling and he says, but don't worry, even with the grief and the trouble that's coming, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to supply you. I'm going to have help for you. And then chapter 17 is his prayer. Jesus' beautiful prayers for himself, those in the room, and those of us who will come generations later. So the question is, why are we using this particular upper room discourse text in our circle of love series? And I want to illustrate that in just a second with some help from my fifth graders. Um, But let me say just a word or two about the Trinity um, and and the idea, the doctrine of the Trinity. Because Christians believe that while you're you're not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible... Christians believe that the nature of God, Father, Son, Spirit, three in one, one in three, simple in nature, complex in activity, is revealed in all of creation. God wants to be known. In the Old Testament, that understanding of God as three in one, that circle of love is implicit, right? And the focus in the Old Testament is the God is one, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. In the midst of many ancient cultures and religions where there were many gods, uniquely God, one. The Trinity, though, is implicit. But in the New Testament, we have explicit writing of and speaking of, particularly by Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit. God as complex and simple. And so as the church um, grew rapidly, as we saw in the book of Acts, and through the first centuries, um, there were these challenges to that core understanding revealed in Scripture. So there were some what we call heresies developing, the ideas that, well, Jesus wasn't really divine, or the Son and the Spirit were created by the Father, so there's kind of a hierarchy, and the church needed to address this. But it really wouldn't come into a written and and then kind of spoken and stated what we call a creed until 3rd, 4th century. But this text that we're in, 
is one of the most beautifully explicit teachings by Jesus about the nature of God. Simple and yet incredibly complex. And so that's why we're here, and we want you to see that for yourselves in the text. All right. Okay. Ready for an illustration? I want to invite my helpers up to grab their signs. And we're going to need some audience help here, too. So you notice in the room there's four sections of seating. All right. So in front of this section, you all are going to be father. Can you say father? Father. All right. Great. You all are, hold your sign up for us, son. Okay, son, you're the son. And over here, what do we have? Spirit, that's right. And lastly, not to be left out, it's us. We're the disciples. Okay, now, last week, Brett read a lot of chapter 15, um, all but the last two verses. And we're going to put those two verses on the screen here. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read these verses. And as a member of... The Trinity is named, or us, invited into that circle of love that are named. The person holding that sign, we're going to hold up the sign in front of our group. So my friends, hold up your signs. Everyone hold their signs. And when the sign goes up in front of your group, you all got to do something. You got to like wave your hands. You can jazz hands. You can kind of do actual waves. If you're feeling energized, you can stand up. But you got to make some motion so we know we're talking about you all. Okay, all right, signs down. We're going to try this slow once, and then we're going to pick it up. All right, here we go. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father... He will testify about me. And you also must testify. For you have been with me from the beginning. Oh, that was so good. All right, give yourself some snaps or applause. Kiss your brain, whatever, you know, self-care, peace you love. Okay, we're going to do it again now. Now, just, I love that you added vocalizations because that was super fun. But because we're going to now go for speed, we're going to just do it physically. It's going to be challenging because some of us like to shout, but we're going to go mostly for speed and use our bodies. Okay, here we go a little faster. Ready? When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Ooh, that was almost more dramatic, wasn't it? Okay, now I'm just gonna pretend like we're not doing an illustration and I'm gonna read it at full speed. It's like inductive exercise study, mostly for you all. Okay, here we go. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All right, give it up. Good job. Woohoo! All right, you guys can take your signs back. Set them down. Well done. Whew. Isn't that cool? 
I, I would really challenge you, go in, you know, print off, go to Bible Gateway or something and print off all these chapters in John. And if you just go through and mark all the fathers and sons and spirits and disciples and color code them, it is incredible how beautiful that dance is, right? As the circle of love moves and invites us in. It's just phenomenal. All right, so let me remind us, before we get to our John 16 text, about the pair phrases that are really marking kind of the sermons each week during the Circle of Love series. Because they're written in a way to really kind of draw us in and make us wonder about this God, whom, as Kevin's been saying, as they are, so we aspire to be. Amen? As they are, so we aspire to be. So look at these five phrases. Joyful intimacy. Glad surrender. Complex simplicity. Mutual indwelling. And passionate mission. So we want to look at where we see complex simplicity in, in John 16. And so I have a couple of students who are going to help with the readings, and then I want to unpack some bits of it. And I'm going to have Abigail come up first. She's going to read, if you're following along, um, we're going to be in John 16, and she's going to read verses 7 to 11 to start us off. And um, hey, Abigail, come on up. You can have a spot here. And so as she's getting ready to read that to us, let me remind you that, so we just, those two verses we just acted out, right? Now we're in chapter 16. And the disciples are getting a little stuck on the like, um, there's trouble coming. And they're, have, they're kind of stuck in their grief and their fear. And Jesus reminds them some important things. And that's where we're going to pick up. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because you do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Amen. Thank you. I'll have that like memorized. Did you notice that? I'm feeling a little humbled here. All right. So good. So did you catch that? You know, the reminder, advocates coming. Um, you know, we talked about this as a group. It was two weeks ago, right? We, we went to the prayer tower, the fifth graders, and Clayton and I went, and we asked some of their thoughts on complex simplicity. I don't know why I'm still using this. I'm double miking. That's right. All right. Put that down. So we're in the tower, and we're like, okay, what do you think about complex simplicity? And um, you know, let's do some listening. We did a Lectio Divina, which is a spiritual discipline they're learning to practice. And they had some phenomenal insights. And really, the first thing that grabbed their attention was the beginning of this text that said, truly, I tell you, it's for your own good I'm going away. So I don't know how you imagine that room. I'm not sure the disciples would have agreed with this, right? That it's for their good. Um, they would have, would have been feeling some things there. Um, but the students immediately had this really beautiful insight. And they were like, you know what? I kind of get it, though. Because um, when you go away, like when someone goes away from you, you really have to 
You know, think harder, like remember, you know, picture them, remember what they said, what they were like, um, and kind of hold on to what, what them being in your life was like, right? Or it's kind of like someone who's far away from you. You kind of have to lean in, right? You focus, and you're really trying to hear what they have to say. And they're like, that could be a good thing. I was like, that is brilliant, right? There's something about it that they just got, And, you know, it's so interesting, that next little bit about when the advocate comes, he's going to prove to the world, prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's a little, uh, that took some unpacking for me. But essentially what it's saying is when the Spirit comes, the Spirit's going to convict, right? That's a key role of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convicts the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. And actually, you know, Jesus is going to come back for a little while and then go away again after he ascends. And remember what he says. He says, you still got to lean in and wait. He said, wait for the one I'm going to send you. And they go to another upper room and they all pray, men and women and families, all ages, and they're praying and waiting. And what happens? Spirit comes. Right? Holy Spirit comes just as Jesus promised. And what's amazing is that when Spirit comes at Pentecost, this very thing happens. Right? As the Spirit falls, do you remember the story? It says that tongues of fire came on all who were there. And they started speaking in tongues they didn't know. Right? What is going on? In some ways, it's very simple. The Spirit comes for everyone. Right? In that room. Everyone in that room, the Spirit falls. But there's this strange complexity, right, where they're all speaking these new languages. And as they go out and share about Jesus, now people hear in their own heart language, right? And they're convicted. They're convicted of sin. They understand now God's way of righteousness. And they understand that it's the prince of this world who stands condemned. And the world with their prince. But Jesus is the one who came not to condemn, but to save Remember John told us that earlier, right? And this moment, think about complex simplicity in this moment. Um, You know, I was so struck this week, I had the privilege of doing some diversity training with my university staff who work with graduate students and faculty. And you know, sometimes in church circles, we're a little comfortable around the language of diversity inclusion. We kind of think that's a secular thing. But I was so struck this week Diversity and inclusion, um, that's God's idea. Okay, that's a kingdom thing. Okay, think about it just a second. In creation, what does God do? He creates diversely and abundantly and then invites those made in his image to do the same, right? At Pentecost, God had this chance to say, the way I want to do unity is through uniformity. But that's not what happens, Right? That's not what happens. Actually, he expands and kind of accentuates the differences and said, I'm for all the people, right? And God, look at God in in his very nature as complex. God is diverse, Father, Son, Spirit, differentiated. And yet God is one and includes us and brings us in, right? Kingdom, diversity, inclusion, that's God's idea. And the spirit comes in this moment and says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show the world. I'm going to do the work of convicting what's true about sin and righteousness and judgment. 
And that takes us to the second part. So, um, Della, come on up. We want to hear the rest of this text. So now if you're following along, we're going to hear verses 12 to 15 in John 16. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Great. Thank you. I'm going to turn this off, put it down. Thank you, Della. That's great. Ooh, John is so rich. Isn't it? And Jesus, Jesus is teaching. It's amazing. I personally, I, I always kind of was a little baffled. You know, my, my friends who were exploring or considering Jesus not Christians, but a lot of times people would take him to John to kind of study as a first foray into the Bible or new believers. And I'm like, John is beautiful. But you ever read John or hear it and you're like, my brain is in a pretzel. Like, it's really, it's challenging, right? You're like, oh yeah, mm, no, what? what? What did you just say? Say that again? And then you still read it like three or four times and you're like, hmm. And it's funny because the disciples in the second half of 16, they have this very experience. I just cracked up. You look at the few bits of kind of text that's, that's not read here and the disciples right after this go, um, yeah, yeah, what are you, what, we don't get what you're saying, right? Um, what, we don't understand? And Jesus talks some more. And then a little later, the other bit of non-red text, they go, oh, now we get it. Yeah, it's one of those. They're like, yep. It's interesting, right? Because it, it does feel complex. I asked the students, I, I, if you guys remember, I said, can something be simple and complex at the same time? And I was like, ooh, that's a good question. It's going to be a stumper. And they were like, yeah, right away. And I was like, oh, okay, what do you mean? Um, so one of the students had this great example of like, it's kind of like you're talking with a friend. And it's easy to hear what they're saying. It's simple to hear what they're saying to you. But it's complex to really listen and know and understand what they're trying to say to you and how to be a good friend. And I was like, ooh, that's good. My kids said, well, how about writing? Like writing, you learn to write letters and make words, but that's simple, but I can't write a novel. That's how, how do you put words together in a way that's really complex? I um, had some thoughts I'll share just in a second from my husband too about what he saw kind of in nature. But what I liked about their insights there is that even though this has a complexity, right, um, we see that even in that story we heard, like it's highlighting the activity of the spirit. But the spirit of truth doesn't speak on his own, right? Didn't we hear that in what Della read? The Spirit will glorify the Son because it's from the Son that he'll receive, and all that belongs to the Father. So there's still this beautiful dance and interplay of all three. Um, the, have you, any of you, who's heard of the Fibonacci sequence? Fibonacci, some of us? Okay, so this is what my husband was reminding me about. I, 
I don't know a lot about this um, from my own kind of educational background. But so Fibonacci, this is a sequence that's named after an Italian mathematician from the Middle Ages. And the sequence itself is quite simple. It's each number is the sum of the two preceding numbers. All right? So you have 0, 1, so the next number is 1. And then the next number, because you had 1 and 1 before, is 2. 2 and 1, 3. 3 and 2, 5, okay? So that's the very simple sequence. But they have found the sequence expressed in the natural world. It's a little tricky to see here, but you can see often it's in the spiral. This sequence plays out in these beautiful and complex structures in the natural world. The next slide shows it happens on a small scale, maybe from the sunflower, all the way to the galaxies, that simple sequence plays out to make this complex beauty. And I do think it's important to think about the nuance between something being complex, having many parts or multiple parts, and something being complicated, right? Inherently kind of difficult in its nature. Because God is, in essence, one simple God, Father, Son, Spirit. And yet complex in that dance, the way that Father, Son, and Spirit move and invite us into the circle. And in the mystery, because it is, let's just say, God is God and we are not, right? It's right that we don't comprehend fully all the mystery. And yet as the text told us, we can lean in and wonder. And Spirit will help us to know what has been revealed by son and father. And so the encouragement, I think, out of the word is to continue to lean in, right? To wonder. And um, I love how that text started, right? Jesus goes, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can bear. And, you know, I'm going to have Jessa come up. Jessa had a great thought about this, and I'll let Jessica kind of grab her notes she's going to share with us, and that'll really lead us well into how we can keep applying what we're seeing in this text, and as we're learning about God is the circle of love. So yeah, Jessica, go ahead and share with the group what you noted. In chapter 12, it says, I have much more to say to you, so we have to stop and listen to God is trying to get our attention, but if we don't listen, he can't tell us what he needs to tell us. So make sure that you take time for him and listen to what he has to say. Okay, hang tight with me for a second. Can someone say amen to that? <laughs> we have to stop and listen. God's trying to get our attention. He wants to be known, right? He wants to show us new things. And so make sure you make time for him in your daily routine. That's beautiful. Thank you, Jessa, for sharing. And we want to do that even right now. That's part of how we're going to respond. Is we're going to say, God... Would you help me to bear more? Don't you kind of want that? You're like, oh, I want to know more. I want to have more capacity, right? To hold and know more of this mystery. And that's where prayer comes in. So we are so blessed to have many prayer um, ministers this morning, some of our fifth graders and adults in the room. If you're doing prayer ministry, go ahead and stand up and find your spot in the room. And worship team, you can start to make your way forward as well. So before I give a couple instructions about how we're going to keep 
leaning into that practice of prayer, um, just remind you some things you can do this week. Go out and look at the natural world and see if you can find some of that complex simplicity in the world God's made. I mean, it's gorgeous. Go, go walk, go stare it at the head of a sunflower. Go stare at a snail shell, right? Go look and wonder. Or go to this John text and print it out and mark it up and find all the Father, Son, Spirit disciples. And take time each day, as Jessica said, to stop and let God get our attention and increase our ability to know and bear more. So here's how prayer is going to work. So we have some groups of prayer. The groups with fifth graders are going to do what's called soaking prayer. Okay, so there's a group up front here and here, and then I'm going to join Abigail in the back by the camera. So there's three places. And soaking prayer is that silent soaking prayer. So you could come to us. We might just ask your name, ask if we can put a hand on your shoulder, and we'll soak you in silence. Okay, and then maybe just say amen at the end. If you want prayer ministry, maybe you want spoken prayer ministry. Um, so Vicki and Sue, maybe raise your hand so our folks can see you. You can go to Vicki or Sue and receive more spoken prayer ministry as well in this time. Okay, and I would encourage you, let's make the most of this opportunity, right? And ask God to increase our capacity. All right, let me um, begin us in prayer. And as we begin in prayer, here's how I want to do this. Remember those five pairs of word pictures for God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We say them both as a worship to God for who God is. And we also say them as a prayer for whom we aspire to be. So I'm going to read them twice in that spirit. And after I read them the first time, would you just say hallelujah as a worship? And after the second, would you say, amen? Circle of love, you are as we aspire to be. We worship you as the one who models joyful intimacy, glad surrender, who abides and acts in complex simplicity, mutual indwelling, and you act in passionate mission for the world. We worship you as we say, hallelujah, hallelujah. And we, as you are, we aspire to be. So we ask these things, we name these things as a prayer that we would be a people marked by joyful intimacy, by glad surrender to you and one another, dwelling in complex simplicity, aware of mutual indwelling, and sent in passionate mission. We say these as a prayer. May it be so as we say, amen. Let's receive now the prayers that are available around the room as we continue in worship.